Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Hey guys, I'm Mike and Davina. Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast. I'm really happy that you're here. In this episode, I'm chatting with Ian Badaisy, who is a mixer, producer, and engineer based out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, who has worked with a bunch of great artists, including Katy Perry, Nelly Furtado, Sum 41, D12, Aerosmith, Sam Roberts, and a whole bunch more. And we have a really fun chat here. Ian is a really great guy, a really fun guy. And uh, I was first introduced to him through a mutual friend of ours, Joa Carvalho, who Joa, in his own right, is an amazing mastering engineer, and I'm going to try to get him on the show. But Joa had really high praises about Ian's work, so I had to get him on the show and learn a little bit more about him, and I had a really great time chatting with him. In this episode, we cover a wide range of topics, everything from overcoming demoitis, mixing at low volumes, the benefits of analog summing, going above and beyond for your clients, the importance of checking out your work before you send it off to the next stage, whether it's just to your client or whether it's for mixing and mastering. And also, he shares a great tip on how removing low-end can actually make your mixes sound bigger. So it's actually the opposite of what a lot of people think. So anyway, Ian shares a lot of really great tips in this episode. So let's not wait any longer. Let's jump right in. Thanks for being on here, Ian. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. For people who might not be familiar with who you are, what you do, can you give me a little bit of your background and your story? Yeah, so I got started uh, when I was 17 uh, in high school doing a, an internship at uh, a studio called Metalworks. And um, from there, as, as soon as I was in the door and, and you know, talking with the engineers and seeing what actually went on, the, the light bulb went off over my head that this is this is what I've got to do. And... Uh, and I kind of didn't look back from there. Uh, after that, I went and studied at uh, Fanshawe College and uh, and didn't leave Metalworks alone until they gave me a job. Uh, quite literally, like I would go in over Christmas break and, and during the summer and stuff and, you know, sweep the floors and make coffee and wrap cables for people and, and whatever I could do to kind of keep in touch. And then, yeah, I, just, I, I really just didn't leave them alone until they hired me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Persistence is key. It is. It is. And, uh, yeah, so I got a job at, at there, uh, right after, right after Fanshawe, uh, worked there for about eight years, starting as a assistant and working my way up until the last couple of years, I was the chief engineer. And then, uh, about 11 years ago, went freelance. Nice. What got you into engineering in the first place? Were you a musician or? Yeah, I was, I was playing a bit of guitar in high school. Um, you know, I never really took it that seriously. Um, I tend to either be really into things or not at all. Um, and that was one of those things that I was just kind of goofing around with and not, uh, not really putting the, the energy or, or desire into it to, to do anything. But I, I, I did want to be involved in music. And it's funny. I mean, the first thing I would always do when, whenever I'd get a new record is go through the liner notes and see where something was recorded and who produced it and, and all that kind of stuff. But it never occurred to me, uh, as a career path until, uh, I found myself inside, uh, a big recording studio. And were you in a big recording studio just to record some of your own music at that point or? You just... uh, no, that was the, that was the internship. That was the uh, internship. Okay. In high school. Yeah. Cool. And, and how do you think your ability to play an instrument has influenced the work that you do? I don't really play anymore. 
Uh, once I started into, co into college, I really kind of stopped playing around then and, and put all my focus on uh, on engineering. Uh, it was funny. There would be guys who were using the uh, the studio time at Fanshawe to record their own albums for cheap, and uh, <laughs> you know, rather than focusing on I was one of them. Doing. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Fanshawe for the same thing as well. <laughs> and so those guys would be calling me into to engineer their projects at night, uh, and so I was just jumping at every chance I I could for that. Um, and saw anything that, you know, I might go play guitar on as, as sort of a distraction from that. Um, so yeah, I really don't, I don't really play anymore. Um, I mean, it, it could certainly only help things if I did a little bit, uh, and if my theory was a little bit better and, um, you know, and that sort of thing, but I don't, I don't think it's stopped anything in particular. Yeah, that's cool. So now you're focusing a lot more on engineering, obviously, and, and like you said, you've, you've, gone, you've gone freelance. Can you tell me a little bit about your studio setup that you have these days? Yeah, so um, uh, like we were talking about before, uh, I've got a, a, a mixed suite inside of Joe Cavarlo Mastering. Uh, so I'm running Pro Tools uh, with a summing mixer, uh, and then a, a little bit of outboard, not a lot. Most of it's in the box uh, these days, uh, aside from the summing. What kind of outboard are you using these days? Uh, for the summing mixer, I've got the, it's the SSL Sigma, uh, and then I've got a SSL bus compressor. Uh, I've got a API 5500, uh, EQ that, that usually goes across the mix. Uh, and then a couple, a couple of Vintech channels for the odd time. I might track something in here, uh, a couple DBX 160s and a Sans amp, a couple odds and ends like that. Cool. A couple of delays and reverbs and yeah. Yeah, but for the most part, it's all for your mixing stuff. You're not really using it for tracking too often. Oh no, no, I might cut the odd vocal or acoustic guitar in here, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I'm mostly mixing in here. Cool. I know you do a lot of producing as well. Um, so I was curious, how involved do you like to get with producing an album? Do you get involved in the songwriting side of things, or are you kind of more of the stance of let the artist write the songs and I'll just get the best take? I'll come in after they've considered the song to be written. I don't particularly get involved in the in the writing itself. I might tweak little melody or lyric things here or there uh, as we go, but I, I I wouldn't say that I write on on projects that I produce. Um, oh, I, I will do a fair bit of pre-production with the artist and get pretty in depth into arrangement and structure and and that sort of thing. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say that I write alongside them. Got it. And in your opinion, what makes a good song? Like, what are you looking for when you're doing pre-production with people? It's a that's a tricky one because it's it's so subjective. Um, I think if I think that the songs that that have staying power with with audiences come from somewhere genuine. I think that the listener can tell if something is contrived, and there there might be something about a particular song. Uh, that may be written that way, um, that may have some popularity for a while, but it's, it's generally fleeting. Um, I think if it's genuine, that connects to the listener that much more. Got it. So what are some common mistakes that you see a lot of artists making during the pre-production stage or before they enter the studio? How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the most common one, I guess? <laughs> uh, there's a hand. Um, demoitis. Definitely yep. being, being afraid to uh, to try new things once we're in the studio. Um, and how do you get around that then? Oh, man, it can it can be tricky. 
Uh, Do you find that that's something that it's it's more like arrangement that they have demoitis with or like their mix that they've done? Oh, it, it can be anything. It can be. I mean, I've seen bands come in and if, if it wasn't something that they worked through and uh, or that we worked through together in, in pre-production, it's like, no, we can't do that now. That's It's like, no, dude, like explore. We're here to explore things a bit. I mean, part of that's just kind of earning their trust. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that can go a long way. Um, you know, or, or just getting them to, you know, just humor me. We don't have to go a particular route, but let's just hear it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, sometimes it can mean sort of letting them think that an idea is theirs when, you know, it, it, it maybe, maybe wasn't, <laughs> um, yeah, you, you can usually get people to, to come to come around, but, yeah. um, a, another big one for me would be bands biting off more than they can chew. In terms of like performance wise or no, in terms of say they want to go and do a, a 10 or 12 song record, but really they should be doing three or four based on the quality of the songs or yeah, based on the quality of the songs, based on the budget, uh, you know, and they'll, they'll try to skim through the 10 or 12 just because they, they think they have to have a full length album out there. Uh, and you have to sort of guide them into like, no, it'll, it'll go a lot further if we pick your best three or four and do them great rather than, uh, you know, doing eight or 10 or 12 and they all kind of suck. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Cause a lot of people are still of the old school mindset that they need to release a full length album. But these days with the internet, you can just release yeah. a song, couple songs at a time or one at a oh, time exactly. and yeah. base a whole campaign marketing campaign around one or two yeah. songs. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That that definitely is a really good point. I like that a lot. So, what's your mindset then going into a mix? Like, how do you approach a mix? Where do you start? What do you hope to achieve with it? Very first thing I do is is listen to uh, if they've got a, a a rough mix of the song when they were tracking. If it's something that's just being sent to me to mix. If I was uh, producing or engineering it along the way, then I've I've been along the for the ride for that. So I I kind of know what we're doing, but. Uh, if I'm going into a cold just as a mixer, uh, very first thing, listen to, listen to their demo. Um, it'll, I mean, obviously you're, you're trying to surpass that by great lengths usually, but, um, it'll give me an idea of just the balance of they had of things, what parts are, are key, what things are, are sort of playing with each other. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to get a couple hours into a mix and haven't put all the tracks up yet and suddenly realize that there's a guitar part that's playing off a vocal part over here that, you know, that all of a sudden you've got to squeeze a bunch of, of room for. Um, so that'll just kind of give me an overall sense of, of the vibe they're going for and, and what sort of things are featured and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. So to kind of go along with the question of what makes a good song, what makes a good mix? Also a hard one because it's so subjective. Um I mean, there's no, there, there's no rules about balance or, you know, how things are tonally or, or anything like that. Uh, I, I think it's a good mix if, if, if you deliver what the artist had in their head, if you can get that to come out of the speakers, then it's a good mix or, or surpass that. If you can, if you can get what they've got in their head or better out of the speakers then it's a good mix for sure i agree with that in terms of your process do you have a certain workflow that you always stick to do you always go in the same order of instruments or same order of processing any of that kind of stuff in a real general sense i suppose um i'll I'll get the rhythm section and the vocal up pretty quick 
same for the same kind of reason. I, I just want to see how everything's interacting with each other. Uh, and any other overdubs from there, I'll try to get in uh, pretty quickly as well, just to kind of get a rough balance on uh, on the whole thing and see how everything's interacting with each other, uh, which is really the the key to the whole thing. Um, and then once everything's up and and kind of roughed in, then I'll just go back over and over and over it uh, and just fine tune, really scattered and all, and all over the place um, and, until things kind of shape together. Yep. So then how do you know when you're done your mix? Also, these are tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a hard one to put into words just when when you know that it's done. I know for me, just, just kind of going back to I'm either all into things or, or not into it at all. And so just kind of in in my head, it's not and, until that I know that it's it's either done or not done. It's not like I've got a couple of more moves or something to do um it's it's funny i always get i always get to a point where uh i, I do a, a couple little really subtle automation things or a couple really subtle you know eq or compression things or, or whatever and those last couple of moves just the, the whole thing just all of a sudden sort of gels together for me uh and and that's kind of when i know it's not i know when i've gone too far if I start second guessing everything that I did five minutes ago, uh, then I know I've gone too far. Yeah. And then it's time to shut down, come back to it fresh tomorrow, usually undo the last three or four things that I did. And then, then that's usually where it is. Yeah. It could definitely be a fine line between, you know, making that one last move to glue it all together versus going a little too far. Right. It's, yeah. Was it David St. Hubbins? Uh, it's a fine line between clever and stupid. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> very true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, that that is definitely one of the hard parts about mixing is you can always keep moving a knob or Absolutely. tweaking something, right? Absolutely, yeah. It, it, and I think that's just one of those things that, that just comes with doing it, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times uh, to sort of figure that out. I don't, I don't think there's any one sort of way to des- describe that. You just kind of know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just feeling it out, really. Yeah, yeah. At what point did you feel like you really started to make good mixes? Still waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be a common answer. <laughs> it's true, though. I think I think most of us are always trying to get better than than we are, and and, and just improve and 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 try new things and and do a little bit better on this mix than you might have done on on a previous one. Um, it, it's funny. I'll, I'll, I'll go back and, and hear, you know, a mix that I might've done for, there, there's one particular artist that I've been working for, for, with, for about 10 years. And, uh, it, we can, we're constantly working on stuff together. And I, I go back and listen to some of those early mixes that, that I did for him. And I'm like, Oh my God, I want to cringe. <laughs> like, oh my God, you, you hired me again after that. And I'm, I'm certainly expecting the same thing. Any of the mixes that I'm doing, today to go back in a few years and, and listen to anything that I've done now, I'm, I'm sure I'll have the same feeling. Mm-hmm. What's something that you like to do with your mixes that other people might think you're crazy for doing? Like, do you have any crazy chains that you like to do or anything that you can think of that you've done in the past? I don't think I do anything particularly unconventional. Um, I mean, I, I'm maybe I do, but because I'm 
doing them, I think that it's normal. <laughs> um, but I don't think I do anything that wild. It's it's funny here. So the uh, Brian, the studio manager's office, is directly beside uh, my mix room. And I, I tend to mix very, very quietly. And so we'll often kind of joke around sometimes that half the time he doesn't even know if I'm here or not because huh. uh, I'm monitoring that quietly. So I don't know, maybe that. And, and what's your reasoning for monitoring so quiet? I find that I'll, I'll rough stuff in and, and do most of my EQ work on on bigger speakers at, you know, kind of an average volume. But when I'm doing all my balancing and, and automation, I'll, I'll put it on little mix cubes at, you know, very, very quiet levels. And I find that if I can get it sounding uh, punchy and dynamic uh, and energetic uh, and, and emotional and, and, and have impact on those little speakers, I'll often forget that that's what I'm listening to. And then you go from that to bigger speakers at, uh, uh, at a normal volume. And it, it the impact is, is that much more. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, I think it was Bob Rock who said that if you can make a song sound heavy on an acoustic guitar, then, totally. then once you crank the amps, it's going to sound even more huge. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. Very similar it's, it's idea, right? Philosophy. Yeah. 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 Cool. Aside from the normal cleanup of mixing tracks, how do you go about making more creative moves in the mix? Do you, is it something that you just kind of, you do and hope the artist likes it or something that you often consult with an artist before doing or? If I'm going to go off on some crazy. Yeah, you're just going to do something like really wacky if you even do that. No, I, I will on occasion. It's, it's got to be something where I, I think that it really needs it. Um, you know, again, for coming back to the song, I don't, I don't want the mix to get in the way of the song. So if you've got, you know, crazy delays happening all over the place, it's, it's, it's not about how crazy, cool, effective shit you can throw on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, it's about what serves the song. So, I mean, I, I, I will do that on occasion, but it's, it's gotta be, uh, in, in context with what's going on. Um, if it's, to- if, if I know that I've been given, you know, full reign to do that, I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. Um, if not, when I present it to the artist, i you know, I might just sort of prep them that I've done this crazy thing in the bridge for whatever reason, you know, I'm not married to it. Uh, you know, so if, if you don't want it there, that's cool. Um, but kind of here's what I've come up with. Um, or, or if the artist isn't attending, then I might, uh, I might print both mm-hmm. like one with whatever I've done and one without. Um, but t- typically if I do that kind of thing, it's because something might be missing in a section. It might just kind of feel empty or, or need a way to transition from, from one part of a song to another or, or that sort of thing. There's, there's gotta be a reason for it. Not just cause I, got a cool new delay plug in and, and I want to show it off. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. that kind of just like your own little internal producing mindset? Uh, I suppose. Yeah. Like if, if, you know, if, if I hear something in my head, that's not already there on a track, um, yeah, I'll go for it and, uh, and I'll try it and see if it works. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. When you get sessions sent to you for a mix, what problems do you frequently see in terms of how people are sending these sessions to you and what could you recommend for people to, to fix those things? Laziness. Okay. <laughs> when you, when you, no, I mean, to be frank, uh, when you see files come in labeled audio one, audio two, audio three, um, 
it's, it's just just laziness. Uh, you know, if, if tales of things are cut off or there's bad edits that have been not crossfaded and, and consolidated and then that gets sent to you, um, you know, it's, it's somebody didn't check their work. They didn't put crossfades in or, or they did and, and didn't listen to it. Um, and so you've got to go back and ask them to resend it. And what blows my mind with that is, is sometimes when they resend it and there's other things they still didn't fix or they didn't fix the thing that you asked them for. Um, yeah, you know, just, just check your work, just check your work. And it all just comes down to wasted time. If I've got to go and spend 20 minutes listening to every individual track and okay, that's the kick, that's the snare, that's the vocal. Uh, it's just wasted time. If I've got to go in and, and clean out, you know, clicks from things or get really clever with, uh, with ambiences to, to cover over something that where something ringing out is cut off. Um, that's all wasted time that didn't, that didn't need to happen that could be put, uh, back into the mix. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just check your work. Thorough labeling is key. I mean, I've, I've got stuff in a couple of times where, you know, there's four lead vocal tracks and it's like, well, which one am I supposed to use? And that's just also communication between yourself and the producer or the artist, you know, to yeah. know, to know, okay, are these doubles? Yeah. Are these? Oh, exactly. Am I supposed to use all four or like, is there one that's a, a comp or yeah. And it's, it's, it's just wasted time and you've got to go back and forth with them. And yeah. Do you normally send out like a, a sheet of things that you want before clients send you their mixes? Uh, no, not really. Um, it's, it's pretty common these days. I think everybody knows, you know, these days to, excuse me, um, to consolidate everything from the top and, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, so, and most people are pretty good with that stuff. It's just, it's just the odd time you get things in like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. How do you go about approaching gain staging in your mixes? Do you have a certain technique for that or do you even care? I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I care, um, you know, you want stuff there, but not too hot. There's, there's certainly no need to print everything, uh, super, super hot. You, you, you do want to leave, uh, if, if you're doing it in the box, um, typically you want to leave a, a little more headroom than, than you would think before plugins in the mix bus and stuff kind of start to get crunchy, but, um, you know, just don't you know, not too loud, not too quiet, just kind of sound nice and comfy in the middle. Do you have like an optimal level that you want everything to kind of normally hit at? No, not really. I'll, and I'll kind of shuffle things around a little bit. Clip gain and, you know, is, is a pretty awesome thing now for that. If, if stuff's a little too loud or a little too quiet, it's it's so easy now just to bump things up or down a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And I'm just that, you know, just to kind of depend on if it's going into a compressor or what and how you want that to, to react to things. And Of course. Yeah, very good point. When it comes to getting the low end right in a mix, what are some of your tips for that? Another tricky one. And you said you mix with little mix cubes, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that, that, that makes it that much more of a challenge. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do my balancing uh, and, and automation on those and I'll, I'll rough stuff in and, and EQ stuff on, uh, on, on bigger speakers. But um, I, I guess don't be afraid to take a bunch of it out. Like a, a lot of it when it, you know, your, your bass guitar or, or, or guitars are uh, you know, keys, even vocals, whatever. Um, it may sound great on its own, but when you put it into the mix, a lot of that bottom end is just, is just turning into mush and you'll get a, you can get a lot more volume out of things and get things to, to cut through the mix a lot better. Uh, if, if you just filter a lot of that stuff out and it, it sort of sounds like the opposite of what you'd want to do on yeah everyone thinks oh you need stuff. bigger bottom end keep it all in there right yeah no no yeah you actually want to do 
kind of the opposite of that and take a lot of it out just to, to clear room for for the bottom end that you do want i agree with that for sure and you do that a lot through just like just using filter like high pass filters yeah 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 cool so we all learn from trial and error and making mistakes in the studio do you have any examples of something that's maybe gone wrong in a session that you've worked on and uh what did you learn from that how did you fix it anything that comes to mind i think the the big things like that would be um you think, think is, is times when I, I I had an opportunity uh, in front of me that I didn't grab. Uh, I think those are kind of the big mistakes. You know, maybe uh, yeah. I mean, if there, there was an opportunity to do something, or or maybe I could have put a, a little bit more time into uh, a mix, or um, you know, just, just pushed myself a little bit harder on something or, or could have done something a little more to, to make an artist feel comfortable. Um, yeah, I, I think it'd be my own personality things rather than, you know, dropping a mic on someone's head or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. So you've also had the opportunity to work with a lot of other really big producers, like people like Bob Rock, Eddie Kramer, David Bottrell. Mm. What's a really good lesson that you've learned from working with someone like those people? From all those guys, uh, and, and so many more, um, the common thread that I, I started to notice with all of them was their, their attitude and their work ethic and their determination. Um, just going into it with with the mindset of uh you know it's it's not done until it's right it's not leaving my hands until it's right um that there's no problem that comes up that we're not going to find a solution to whatever it might be big or small mm -hmm. we will find a solution to it uh just that that determination amongst all those guys yeah yeah that's that was my big takeaway from from working with all of them yeah, I met Eddie Kramer a little while ago, and he was telling some stories, and he's also very much of that mindset. Like, there's there's a solution yeah. for everything. We'll figure it out. If it takes yeah. days, we'll do it. Yeah, absolutely. If it means we're here till four in the morning, we're here till four in the morning. If it means, yeah, what, whatever it means, it's, you know, it's not done until there's a solution. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely one thing that I, I really admire from him and, and, cool. uh, and from all of those guys, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any special tools or tips that you've implemented into your workflow that have really helped your mixes? The two that are pretty big for me, I mean, right. I mean, these days, you know, doing, doing most of it in, in my own studio here, um, between the, the SSL summing mixer and the, the UAD, uh, plugins have both been game changing for me. How so? With the UAD stuff, they're so close to, the original, uh, uh, products that, um, you know, it was, it, it, there was a lot of plugins kind of in, until these came along. Like, I, I don't, I don't think a lot of the other reverbs are very convincing, uh, or the delays. You can really get the same sound out of, out of that stuff as, as you can on, on the real thing. Yeah. They just, they, it's, it's so close. It's, it's staggering. Uh, and, and with the summing mixer, I could do it without it, but it gets me, I find it gets me there that much faster, uh, and wrestling with things that much less. 
to get a mix to the same place. If that, if that makes any sense, Got it, yeah. um, there's, there's just, it's that SSL sound that's on, you know, how many thousands of, of, of records. Um, and so rather than trying to sort of squeeze that out of things in the box, I just find there's, there's like just sort of a, a clarity to it and a punch and, there's more separation between instruments and your, your imaging is, is that much better. Um, and, and I, I mean, again, you can, you can get it there without it, but I, I find it gets me there so much faster and with so much more ease, uh, than trying to do it just straight in the box. And is it the same thing with all your other outboard gear that you got there? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's, there's not a lot that I use consistently. I mean, the, the SSL bus compressor always, the, the API gets used a lot. Yeah, the, you know, to be honest, the, <laughs> I'm using the other stuff less and less with the UAD things in there and, and with the SSL. It's just, I, you just kind of have to wrestle with stuff that much less with all of it. Yeah. I, I'm the same way. Like, I used to have a whole bunch of outboard gear, and then once I got the UAD system, I started selling it's, it off. Yeah, that's exactly... I really yeah. didn't need it, and I like the opp- I, I like that it's so flexible, and that I can recall things no problem, just, have yeah. as many instances as I want. You yeah, know? you've got the instant recall on everything. You can hop back and forth. If you sort of hit a brick wall on a particular song, you can just close it, open up the next one, and you know, and and come back to it fresh. And you know, recalls with clients are are not a big deal at all. You can open stuff up at any time. It's the the, the whole thing is 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 pretty great these days. Once you're done the mix, do you end up mastering your own mixes or do you typically send it off to someone else to get done? Uh, I, I try to send it off whenever I can. Uh, the odd time, if it's, you know, an independent project and the and the budget's particularly small, um, I might do it then. Uh, but I, I try to send it out just for the, for the sake of, you know, at, at that point, I'm, you know, pretty inside the whole thing. So just to have a fresh set of ears, you know, take a take a look at it before it goes out there. Got it. And do you always go to the same people for your mastering? Uh, typically, yeah. Joe Carvello, uh, for, for the most part, uh, is kind of my go-to guy. And it helps that you're working out of his place. Too, oh, yeah. Right? So. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I walk down the hall with a flash drive. <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. <laughs> what advice would you give to someone who's just getting started off with mixing? I guess just, I mean, do it as, as much as you possibly can. Don't, you know, you're, you're, it, it's going to be a long road. Um, you know, and, and your mixes might not be that great for, for a long time, but each one's going to get better and better and just, just keep at it. And just the more, the more you, you mix, the, the better you'll get. Um, and don't get caught up in, in the quest for gear. There's no, it's, it's funny. I see a lot of, you know, on, on some of the websites and, and forums and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, people sort of chasing a particular uh, uh, piece of gear or plug-in or a setting on something or a, uh, a sample bank of, of whatever, uh, thinking that it's some holy grail that all of a sudden their, their, their stuff is going to be outstanding. Um, and so just to keep in mind that it's, it's the carpenter, not the tools. Um, there's no... There's no magic wand by, you know, getting a particular piece that, you know, you're going to put on your mix and, and all of a sudden it's going to be great. It's it's time. It's just doing it over and over and over and over. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that for sure. 
And what would you also recommend for people trying to find new clients? Like what, how do you go about it? What, what, what would you recommend for someone who's starting? At, at this point for me, it's, it's pretty much referrals. Um, if I happen to, you know, catch an artist somewhere that I, I think is particularly cool, I, you know, I, I will go approach them. But, uh, but for the most part, it's, it's referrals for people starting out. It's tricky. Um, so much of it is, is about relationships and, um, and just, you know, people that you've known for a long time that, you know, that start sending you work. Um, if you, if you consistently do good work and, and put everything into it and, and be the person who, you know, even if it's just a, a rough board mix at the end of the night, but you know, if, if, if you're the one who, you know, puts in a little bit extra time and, and makes those roughs great and goes out of their way to make people feel comfortable, uh, and relaxed and, and, and have them enjoy the whole thing, uh, and, and just knock it out of the park every time people will hear about you. And, and so if just go into everything with, with that kind of attitude and, and those relationships will develop over time and, and stuff will start to come in. Yeah. But be, you know, be the person that everyone wants to work with because you went uh, above and beyond. Yeah. I definitely agree with that a hundred percent. So we're at that point where we got to start to wrap things up a little bit. How can people follow you online or reach out to you if they're interested in working with you? Um, I, I do have a website, uh, it's Um, uh, I have Twitter, but I, I never even look at it. So you're welcome to follow me on there, but you know, uh, don't expect me don't to, expect much. yeah, to, to, to see it very often. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm much more active on Facebook. Uh, I have, there's a personal page and there's, uh, my work page. Um, you know, the, the, the work page of, of course you just gotta, just gotta hit follow. Uh, people are more than welcome to, to add me on the, uh, on the personal page as well. Um, uh, if you do, maybe just, just send a note just saying, you know, Hey, listen to you on this thing, you know, whatever. Um, just so I know it's not some random, you know, bot or thing or, or, or whatever because there's a certain amount of that on there as well um yeah. but yeah by all by all means uh, feel free to reach out on there awesome and any cool projects that you're working on now that you can talk about uh yeah i've been working on the pre-record for a uh for an upcoming disney film uh so what we've been tracking they'll lip sync to that on set as they shoot uh and then that uh, uh and then what we've tracked will, will be in the film when that comes out very cool. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of, lot of you know, really cool people involved in that. And um, Disney never does anything uh, half-assed. So it, oh, uh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> so pretty cool <laughs> to be a, pro, uh, a part of something with them. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you being on here and uh, sharing a lot of your wisdom there. There was a lot of good stuff. Oh, thanks so for having me. I really happy. appreciate that. Thanks fun. so much, man. Great. Take Cheers. So that was my interview with Ian Badesi. I had a really great time chatting with him. He's a lot of fun, and he's done some amazing work. So make sure to check him out online or wherever you listen to music these days. He's done a lot of really great work. So before we go, one last reminder. If this is your first time hearing about Master Your Mix, please make sure to check out the website, MasterYourMix.com. And at the top of the page, I have a link so that you can download your free copy of The Ultimate Mixing Blueprint, which is a guide that I've put together to help you with using EQ and compression in your mixes so that you can get better results much faster. So make sure to do that. And when you sign up for that, you'll be added to my mailing list where every week I send out new video tips and tutorials and a bunch of other great advice designed to help you with your mixes. 
So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining me, and I can't wait to see you in the next one. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at masteryourmix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit masteryourmix.com.